All right, if you have a, a Bible, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 9? If you don't have a Bible uh, with you or even at home, um, we've got these red ones in the pews, in the chairs, seat backs, and um, you can use that. We're on page four. And if you don't have a Bible at home, take this home. This is our gift to you. We want to make sure everyone has access to the Word of God. Um, we're continuing our study through the book of Genesis, um, which is the first book of the Bible, the very beginning of the story of God's redemption. And it's in this first book that we're learning the foundations of the faith that we hold today. And along the way, we're also um, finding these threads that connect the story from Genesis to the person and work of Jesus. And that encourages us and enables us to live out the faith that we see even in these stories. Um, and we've got just another week of our time in Genesis part one. Uh, and then we're going to put a pause on our study in Genesis. And we'll come back to the second half of Genesis later. But now we're picking up right after the flood story. So last week we looked at Noah going on to the ark uh, and God's promise to deliver them. And now we're in chapter 9 where the Lord has, um, he, he, the waters have subsided and Noah and his family have come off of the ark. And we pick up in chapter 9 starting at verse 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you the birds and the livestock and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The sons of Noah went forth from the ark, uh, were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, 
and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text, this, this promise that you give to us. Lord, we, we pray now in the preaching of your word that your spirit would um, fill my words and fill our hearts and open our eyes to see your love for us, um, demonstrated most chiefly in sending your son, Jesus, our Savior, to die for us. In his name we pray, amen. When we think of the story of Noah, uh, there's like four images that come to our minds. The first is obviously the ark itself. That's pretty obvious. And then we think of the water, that the flood that comes. The third image that we think of is often like the, the animals marching two by two up onto the ark. But then the fourth image that is always associated with Noah and the flood is what? The rainbow. Yeah. Every time we see a rainbow, uh, we're supposed to think of this story. And rainbows are majestic. They're beautiful. I mean, even as an adult, I find myself like staring at a rainbow, trying to figure out, how does this even work? I, I, I still don't understand it. But it, it captures our attention. It captures our imagination. Uh, there's so much within the rainbow. It's a sign of something great. And that's even what the Lord says about it. It's a sign of his covenant, that when he sees it, he remembers something about his relationship to man. And when we see it, we should look at it as a sign as well. And a sign, like a stop sign, is a physical thing, a visible thing that you see, and it causes you to do something. It causes you to think about something or remember something, like a stop sign. You're driving down the road, and you see the sign, and you know that that sign tells you to stop. The rainbow is a sign. When we see it, we need to remember something. This morning, we're going to see three things that this rainbow is a sign for us to remember. So if you're taking notes, this is where we're headed. When we see the rainbow, we should see three things. First, God wants a relationship. Second, God is committed to that relationship. And third, God will uphold that relationship. First, God wants a relationship. Second, God is committed to that relationship. And third, God will uphold that relationship. First, when we see the rainbow, we should see that God wants a relationship with us. This is what verse 12 says. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make with myself and you and everything on the earth. It's a sign of a covenant. Now, a covenant is not just a church word. Uh, it's a, it's a, it means something. We don't use it often today, but it means a promise set within the context of a relationship. Covenants are established when two or more people come together and they form an alliance of sorts, a relationship where they say, hey, I am binding myself to you and you are binding yourself to me. And together, we no longer exist as separate parties, but we have come together to form something new. 
Whenever we see the word covenant, we should think relationship and, and promise within that relationship. Sometimes covenants are given in the Bible where it's the creation of a new relationship. Perhaps two kings come together that are neighbors and they say, hey, we've been enemies, now let's form a covenant and become allies. So it creates a new relationship. But often, a covenant is given within the context of an existing relationship, and the covenant, it it transforms that relationship into something new, something deeper, something weightier. The, The most common covenant that we think of today, you might not even think of it as a covenant, is a marriage. We, we looked several weeks ago at Genesis chapter uh, 2, where God brings the first man and the first woman together, and uh, there's a marriage ceremony. It's a covenant ceremony. And when we think about a marriage or a wedding ceremony, uh, it is not as though that the groom and the bride are meeting for the first time there at the altar at the end of the aisle. Perhaps maybe in some arranged marriages that's the case, but often our experience is this bride and groom, they know each other. They've been together for a while. So what changes in this covenant ceremony? It becomes this new, legalized, formalized, deeper, weightier, more joyful relationship. A covenant transforms a relationship so that now the parties can experience something deeper and more joyful than what they had before. This is what we see God doing in chapter 9. He is establishing a covenant with his people, his creation, but it's not, it's not the start of a new relationship. Before, God created Adam and Eve and told them to, to multiply and fill the earth, and he committed himself to them as their creator. That is a covenant. He created them and said, I will bless you. Now go and fill the earth. But that was back in creation before sin. And so the terms of that relationship were one thing. But now that sin has come into the world, the the game has changed a little bit. And God has to establish or reaffirm his relationship to his people. And that's what we're reading here. God is creating or establishing, deepening this relationship that he has with creation. And we talk about this all the time in church, that God wants a relationship with us. It's implied in him making a covenant with us. But have you stopped for a moment and ever thought, what does it mean for God to want a relationship? It means that God is not distant. God is not some impassionate, unemotional, just being out in the universe that sort of orchestrates things like a puppet master. No, God is, is a person. The fact that he wants a covenant implies that he is a person who wants a relationship. It means that he is someone who we can know, that we can move towards, that we can listen to and talk to. This is groundbreaking in the whole ancient world, and it's groundbreaking today, that there's this higher power out there who is not some cold and distant and unknowable person or thing, but it is the God of the world who desires to come close to us. 
And that is what we see in Genesis chapter 9, that God's character, who he is, is a God who wants a relationship with his creation. And so when you see the sign of the covenant, when you look and find and see a rainbow, ask yourself this. How is your relationship with the God of that rainbow going? Do you desire the same kind of relationship that that rainbow is telling you he desires of you? Do you, are, are you moving towards him as someone that you can know? Are you hearing his word to you through scripture? Are you spending time praying to him and talking back to him? When we see the rainbow, we should ask ourselves, do I want this relationship that clearly God wants with me? That's the first question that we ask when we see the rainbow. It is a sign of the covenant. He wants a relationship with us. The second thing that we need to see or think about when we see the rainbow is that God is committed to this relationship. The rainbow is a sign that God is committed to us despite our sin. Verse 11 tells us that this covenant, this covenant with us that is established, uh, it's this promise. I will never again, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Look, Sin still remains after the flood. And God says, despite your sin, I am making this covenant with you. I am promising never to send flood again to destroy the world, despite the presence of sin. He is committed to the relationship no matter what. Now, this commitment to a relationship, this is something that's hard. Like, commitment itself is difficult. I mean, just any millennial or younger struggles with commitment. We, we tend to, like, choose a hobby or a passion until it gets challenging or expensive or hard or you aren't good at it, and then you move on to something else. Uh, or, you know, look, church is a family to commit to. But, but often in the Western evangelical world, we, we choose what church we want to go to until it becomes uncomfortable or not what I prefer or I don't like that person or, man, this relationship's getting strained and so I'm going to leave and find a new church. Commitment is hard. Like, I mean, even in relationships, dating relationships. Like you, you spend time in a relationship with someone, getting to know them, allowing them to know you, and hopefully it works out well, but commitment is hard because if, if there's some characteristic or quality about that other person that you don't like, Oftentimes we say, sorry, I'm going to find someone else. Commitment. We don't understand it. It's hard. It's, it's, we have such a lack of commitment. But the relationship that the Lord is offering with his creation is one in which he will commit to despite it getting difficult despite the sin that's true in our lives. This is the difference between a covenant and any other really kind of like legal relationship. A covenant has commitment baked into it, 
And any other relationship, well, commitment isn't necessary. Many of you know, a uh, little over a year ago, um, Sarah and I were living in a house, not the house that we currently live in. We were renting a house on East Minor. And we signed a contract and signed a lease, and um, it was great. We loved that house. It was becoming our, our home in Mayfield Heights, and we loved having people over in it. Um, but then on, on September 30th of last year, we got an email from our landlord that said, hey, uh, because of the terms of our lease and because I want a, a, a better value on my house, uh, we're going to kick you out at the end of October, um, and I'm going to put the house up for sale. We, we, we signed a contract with one another, um, but even within that contract, there wasn't this level of relational commitment baked in. You see, this, this landlord, he was receiving a check from us every month. It was a transaction, but he realized, hey, if I sell this house, I can get more money out of this house than the current relationship I have. It was transactional. Um, think of this kind of relationship we have this not just legally but socially like i love shopping at aldi it's, it's great food at great prices um but if i would go down to i don't know heinen's probably unlikely but if i go to heinen's and find something there that's cheaper than what i was spending for it at aldi well i'm gonna start buying that thing at heinen's i know i should have mixed it up all right i love going to heinen's it's a great store it's beautiful but it's a little costly. But if I find the thing that I want at Heinen's at Aldi at cheaper costs, oh, I'm going to start shopping at Aldi. It'd save a lot, yeah. We, we exist in these transactional relationships where we're committed as long as it benefits me. But as soon as I can find something better or, or more affordable or of higher value or more pleasurable, well, I'm going to end my relationship with this and move on to that. But a covenant has commitment because God looks at the world and says, this is going to be difficult. These people are going to be challenging. They are going to turn their back on me. They are going to betray me. They are going to rebel against me all the time. And yet, I am committing myself to them. God wants a covenant relationship because he is committed to that relationship. Is that the kind of relationship you have with God? That, that kind of unconditional, God can ask whatever he wants of me? Or, or is this more your relationship with God? God, I will obey you if you give me what I want. God, I will follow you and, and obey you, and, and do everything you ask for me, as long as you do this for me. As long as you show up where I need you. As long as you move in the life of that person that I'm praying for. As long as you do this, as long as you do that, as long as you do what I want you to do, well then, yes, Lord, I will obey you. Is that your relationship with him? His relationship with you is, I'm going to be your God no matter what. He's not entering into a contract with us. He's entering a covenant with us. And he proves it with the rainbow. 
the word rainbow is not in the Bible. We don't have that word here when we read bow. It's actually the, the word for like a weapon, a bow and arrow kind of bow. I mean, we, we, we know of it as the rainbow, but the word that God says is, I will hang my bow in the clouds. And by saying that, what he is saying is, no longer will I repay you for your sin. I am putting my weapon down. I'm walking away. I'm done. He's putting his weapon down and saying, no longer will I repay you for your sin in this way. Despite our sin that, that went onto the ark with Noah and came out of the ark with Noah, despite our sin, God is saying, I am committed to this. I will not wipe you out with a flood. I will not destroy all flesh in my judgment again. I am committed to you. There's two applications with this. One, whether you are a Christian or not, God's patience with us, his grace with us, his mercy with us, the fact that he puts his bow up on the wall, whether you're a Christian or not, we should not presume that God's patience with us means that he is indifferent to us when we sin. He is saying, I am not going to destroy you with, with this flood, even though you are a sinner. That doesn't mean that God no longer cares about our sin. He does, and he will bring judgment upon it. But he is saying, I am committed now to my creation. Now come back to me. It is an invitation for us to trust him. But then for Christians, when we sin, when we feel the weight of God's, uh, the weight of guilt and shame on our shoulders, like when we feel like I don't deserve God's love, when we wake up and we feel regret and remorse for things that we've done this past week, in those moments where we feel like, man, I deserve God's judgment now. When, when the storm clouds start coming and we begin to think, oh, crap, God's wrath is coming for me. We need to look at the rainbow and remember God is committed to us. He is not sending his judgment. It, the, the rainbow is kind of like grace in the midst of judgment. It's this rainbow in the midst of the dark rain clouds. Remember, he is committed to us despite our sin. He wants to know, are we committed to him? Despite anything that he could ask of us, despite any obedience that he calls us to, despite any command that he tells us to obey, are we committed to him? When we look at the rainbow, we're supposed to see that God wants a relationship with us, that he's committed to the relationship with us. And finally, we need to see in the rainbow that God upholds that relationship with us. In any covenant relationship, there are 
blessings that come to be experienced and, and enjoyed by the people in the covenant. But in order to experience and enjoy those blessings, there are what are called covenant obligations. That when you do these things within the relationship, you will experience the joy of that relationship. For example, at a wedding ceremony, the groom and the bride exchange vows to one another. Their oaths, their promises, where one party says to the other, I am committed to you no matter what, through thick and thin, through richer and poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. I am committed to you. Now, in that marriage, if one of those two parties drops their obligation, the, the, the vow, fulfilling those vows doesn't create the marriage, it sustains the marriage. The people are already married. The, the ceremony already happened legally, formally. They are already married. But the joy that can be experienced in that relationship only comes when both parties are fulfilling those obligations established in the relationship. You know, apply it to, to God and his story of redemption. When he calls Israel out of Egypt and in the wilderness gives them the, the Ten Commandments, he is not saying to them, obey these commandments and then I will establish a relationship with you. He's saying, I have established my relationship with you. I rescued you out of slavery. I have chosen you. I've made you mine. I love you. Now, in order to enjoy the relationship between us, these are the obligations placed upon you. Covenant obligations don't create a relationship. They help sustain and uphold the relationship. So what are the covenant obligations in this covenant? We didn't read it, but at the beginning of this chapter, the Lord restates the very thing that he stated to Adam and Eve. He says, I will bless you. Now be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. This is God's command, his covenant obligation on to Noah and his family. Go out into the world. Spread my glory. Create culture for my glory. Make my name known amongst the earth. How do we do that? How did Adam do that? How was he supposed to do that? How was Noah supposed to do that? By listening to the voice of God, obeying his commands, and trusting in him. That was the covenant obligation that was placed upon Noah. God is making a relationship and saying, if you want to enjoy this relationship and all that it comes with, then you need to follow. You need to obey these obligations. In many ways, Noah is like a second Adam. In Adam's relationship with God, God basically said, all of the earth now is, is under you, Adam, as the covenant head. If you obey these obligations, the blessings of the covenant will go to everyone in the world. But if you disobey these covenant obligations, Adam, the curse of the covenant will come upon you. He's saying the same thing to Noah. Noah, you now are the father of all of humanity. If you obey the obligations of my covenant, then the blessings of my relationship will go out to everyone in the world. But if you fail, 
if you are faithless to my covenant, well, then the curse of the covenant goes out as well. Blessings and curses. That's what is at stake here. Either Noah fulfills and sustains the relationship and so gets blessing for humanity, or Noah is unfaithful, and he brings upon himself and all of creation the curse. For the first time, for the first audience hearing this story, you have to wonder, there's so much hope put upon Noah. Like, Adam failed, but Noah, he's a second Adam. He could succeed where Adam failed, right? Like, he could do the work. That's what people are hoping for. You can almost imagine, like, they're sitting at the edge of their seat longing to see, is Noah going to be a faithful covenant partner? But then we read what happens to Noah. Starting in verse 20, we read that Noah becomes a man of the soil, just like his father, Adam. He plants a garden and grows a vineyard, just like his father, Adam. But Noah gets drunk. He lays in nakedness, shameful nakedness, just like his father, Adam. Noah, the one in which we hoped could be a faithful covenant partner, was just like his father, Adam. And friends, you and me are just like our father, Adam. We are unfaithful to the covenant. And so the question sort of begs itself, who can be a faithful covenant partner? Who can uphold the relationship that God has with humanity? Well, the rainbow tells us who can be faithful. Because in the rainbow, we see the character of God that God himself will sustain not only his side of the covenant, but also ours. This is going to take a moment to explain. In Genesis 15, we have another covenant established between God and Abraham. And in that covenant, there's a ceremony. And in that ceremony, which was common in the ancient world, the parties would take an animal, slaughter that animal, and lay the pieces of that bloody animal in two rows on the field. And then the covenant partners would walk up and down, and they would say to themselves, if I do not fulfill my side of the covenant, may it be to me like it is to this animal. In essence, they are saying, I will fulfill my side of the covenant, and if I don't, may I be cursed. But what's beautiful about Genesis 15 and what's beautiful about this sign of the covenant is that in both instances, the Lord himself walks by himself through the, the animals. He, he says, you cannot be a faithful covenant partner, but I will be both partners. I will be faithful to the covenant where you are faithless. He's saying, if you are faithful, well, then let the curse fall upon me. Let the curse fall upon me. And we see this in the rainbow. Have you ever wondered why the rainbow is bent the way it is? Maybe there's some physics involved. I don't know. But if it's true that the bow is a weapon, 
and it's hanging up, you might expect that that weapon to be aimed at us, ready to fire when our sin gets too bad. You might think that that bow should be aimed at us, ready to send God's wrath against sinners like you and me, but that bow is aimed up. The arrow should be shot through you and me, but we see in the rainbow that the arrow, when it gets released, will pierce the heart of God. Friends, you and I are not faithful covenant partners. Noah was not a faithful covenant partner. There is a curse to be paid, but the rainbow tells us that God himself will take the curse. The arrow will pierce his heart, and that is what we see in the cross. Jesus, God himself, come in the flesh, faithful covenant partner, always listened to the voice of God, always obeyed the commands of God. He is not the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth Adam. He is the last Adam because Jesus did everything that was asked of him. He did it perfectly, and yet he received the arrow through the heart. He received the curse of the covenant faithlessness so that anyone in him might receive the blessing. Friends, we're all born into this world, children of our father, Adam, and children of our father, Noah. And yet through faith, we who are faithless can receive the blessings of God's love and care and mercy and forgiveness through Jesus, our true covenant partner. Friends, when we do not feel faithful, and it happens all the time, when we do not feel faithful, we fear God's wrath, may you look at the rainbow and remember that when we're faithless, God remains faithful. Let's pray.